There are moments in life when everything seems clear. When everything you have ever heard or experienced until that point suddenly make sense. All events have led up to this moment and the moment seems almost magical. You are gathered with your closest companions and everything is basked in a special glow. You hear a voice from beyond that reassures you that everything is possible. These are incredible moments. Moments that you want to hang on to forever because they pass all too swiftly away. But enough about confirmation and graduation. Let's talk about the gospel today, shall we? The transfiguration in Matthew marks a graduation of sorts for the disciples and for us too. For the disciples, it marks the end of their time as mere students of Jesus. Six days before, as we hear in today's passage, Peter has passed what seems to have been the toughest final exam imaginable. Jesus asked the disciples, who do the people say that I am? And who do you say that I am? Peter blurts out the answer, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. It is, of course, the correct answer. The only explanation for all that Peter and the other disciples had experienced and seen thus far. All the pieces come together in that answer. And so now, six days later, Jesus takes them up on the mountain to celebrate and experience what that means. You see, for the last few weeks, we in church have heard Jesus say, you have heard it said that this is true, but I tell you more. As in, you have heard it said, you shall not murder, but I say to you, if you are angry with a brother or sister, you are liable to judgment. Or, you have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In this way, Jesus has been calling people to live into the fullness of God's love. His teaching over the last few weeks have combined both aspects of what we now know as the sum of religi Jewish religious teachings, the law and the prophets. We heard about the start of the law in today's reading from Exodus. As Moses receives the Ten Commandments to bring down to the Israelites who are waiting not so patiently at the foot of Mount Sinai. But those Ten Commandments merely laid the foundation for a series of other laws found throughout Leviticus and elsewhere in the Old Testament, laws that instructed observant Jews how to live a religious life. These are the things that Jesus referenced when he told the people, you have heard it said this, but as you may have gathered, this is not enough. 
The other half of the teaching comes from the prophets, people like Elijah, Isaiah, and Jeremiah, lesser prophets like Jonah and Obadiah, really obscure ones like Haggai and Nahum, people who throughout the history of the Jewish people called to them to tell them that simply living in accord with the law wasn't enough. As Isaiah said, the prophets came to write a new law onto the hearts of the people. The people needed compassion, too, said the prophets, a heart for the less fortunate, a desire for justice more than self-gain. Jesus summed up all of the prophets when he said, but I say to you, do more. Jesus has been saying all of these things for some time, but the people weren't sure what to make of him. Was Jesus just a new teacher, a different kind of rabbi, one who managed somehow through his scholarship to figure out this mysterious link between the law and the prophets? No. Peter proclaims the truth. Jesus is the Messiah. His words carry the authority of God. And so now Peter gets to experience the fullness of what that means. At the top of the mountain, Peter, James, and John see Moses, the giver of the law, Elijah, the greatest of the prophets, and Jesus, all chatting together. This confirmation is all that Peter needs. He wants to stay in the moment. He wants to build shelters there so that he can perhaps keep the prophets and Jesus there to consult, maybe, to bask in the reassurance of God's love and wisdom. Or maybe Peter's shelters are there to be kind of a monument so that he can return in the future. They can mark the spot. He can bring others there, later generations of disciples, and say, this is where we stood, right here with these shelters. This is where we saw Jesus and Elijah and Moses all talking together. Maybe Peter just wants to stop and pause, not wanting to move on. Because, you see, Jesus has been dropping subtle hints that things will be changing. Right after the proclamation that, Jesus, that Peter made that Jesus was Messiah, Jesus reminds them that the days of being an easy student are over. Jesus tells the disciples that he must undergo great suffering. Peter does not want to believe it. And so this moment on the mountain is a respite, a break as well as a turning point. It is a time when, all, when things seem calm and wondrous, as opposed to the tumult that he knows awaits him once he leaves. As a parish, we are at a turning point, too. Last week, we saw Lou transformed from our priest and rector to civilian and retiring guy. For many of us, there have been moments to reminisce, to recall the bits of wisdom that he had shared or insights that we gained from him. 
We celebrated the moments when we had come to new understandings together. When Lou helped us see where the words of scripture and the Holy Spirit were calling us in our own lives. Looking back on that day last week, it might seem as though it was a moment of calm and wonder, a respite, as well as a turning point. And we might face the same temptation that Peter did, to want to mark the occasion, but also to remain there, to make it permanent in our minds and in our life together, so that we can revisit it time and time again, This is what we did, we will say, as we bring future generations to St. Paul's, when Lou was here. It was calm while the rest of the world seemed to be in tumult. But God does not allow us to rest. He did not allow Peter to do it, and he does not allow us to do it either. God breaks into the moment and makes it holier. But in so doing, God reminds us that this is about God, not about Peter, and not about us. As Peter is planning his great monument, God covers the mountain and speaks out. This is my son, the beloved, God says. If Peter or the disciples had any doubt as to Jesus' identity before, it is gone now. It confirms the greatest of Peter's hopes. It lets him know that great things are possible. It is the inspiration that Peter needs. But God doesn't stop there. He adds the admonition, listen to him. This is not the time to stand and worship. It is the time to follow and obey. It is the time to venture out and spread this great news to the world. And so it is for us today. We don't have God visibly surrounding our sanctuary with a cloud. Well, there are clouds, but anyway. We don't have the voice of God speaking directly to us, though the choir does sound particularly divine as always. But God continues to listen, tell us to listen for the voice of Jesus, to spread the light of Christ in the world. We may look to the past, to the times that showed us who we were, but we cannot stay there any more than the disciples could stay on the mountain after they were truly confronted with what it meant to be an apostle of Christ. Going out into the world is scary, and we know that it is scary because the Bible tells us that even the disciples were overcome with fear on their mountaintop. But Jesus reached out as only Jesus could, literally, bodily, because Jesus was man living among the disciples, standing with them in flesh on the mountaintop and understanding what they felt. As he saw the disciples collapsed in fear, he reached out to touch them. Get up, he says. Do not be afraid. In the end, 
all of these turning point experiences share things in common. Whether they are sacred moments like confirmations, weddings, or ordinations, or secular experiences like graduations, they celebrate the accomplishments of the past, but also provide the words of inspiration to move forward. We at St. Paul's have been blessed. We are blessed with a compassionate community. We are blessed with resources. We are blessed with wonderful formation programs for children, youth, and adults, which help us to understand the story of our faith and how it calls us to live in this world. We are blessed with worship leaders and music programs that can truly inspire us and help us to see God. And as Episcopalians, we are blessed with a form of church governance that recognizes the Holy Spirit in all of us meaning that we are not depend solely on ordained people to tell us where we should go or how the parish should be led. We recognize that God may give brilliant insights to anyone, and we empower people to listen to that spirit. And I believe that at St. Paul's, we are blessed with a vestry and many other lay leaders who really do have the power and the skills to lead us during this brief transition. But it means that we must have courage. We must be able to celebrate the past. We need to be able to grieve the fact that Lou won't be with us for the rest of the St. Paul's journey. But we also need to be able to move forward beyond that. We need faith that God has brought us this far and God will not abandon us. We need faith that the lay leaders and structures which have stood by us so long will continue to serve us well. And to be honest, we need to continue our individual support of St. Paul's, whether that be through our service in various lay ministries or the financial support which keeps St. Paul's running, the lights on and the doors open. Yes, things are a little sad and uncertain right now. It's natural to want to stop, to pause until things feel safe again. But to be honest, our lives are always in transition. Whether it's a graduation or a promotion at work, whether it's a marriage or the birth or adoption of a child, whether it's a job transfer or a sudden illness, life is full of, saint cha of changes, including life at St. Paul's. Let us take courage together, lean on one another, and trust in Jesus, who even now is reaching out to us to say, get up and do not be afraid. Amen. <laughs>